This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Tanya J. Powers for Fox News Radio. Today, I'm spending a few moments with Naomi Judd. Naomi, welcome Thanks for coming by. I'm so tickled to be here, and I'm so tickled to be talking about this book. <laughs> you And that's exactly what I want to start with. Your new book is called River of Time, and uh, I've, I've been really interested to read this because you talk about a really serious subject, your battle with depression in this book. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about why you wrote it. I was terrified myself when I started going through it. I didn't get off the couch for about two years. Finally, Winona, Ashley, and Larry called 911 in the middle of the night and took me to the psychiatric hospital at Vanderbilt, admitted me. And that's when I started realizing I had a very serious problem and I knew nothing about it. So as I was going through my journey um, and what a journey it was, I kept thinking, I can't believe that people don't realize this is a disease. It's not a character flaw. Mental illness is not a character flaw. It has something to do with the brain. Mm-hmm. Just like you have a heart disease, it's a disease of the heart. Or say, for instance, you have diabetes. That's a disease of the pancreas. The pancreas doesn't make enough insulin, so you have to take insulin. So depression is a disease of the brain. It's because your brain doesn't make enough chemicals, the good chemicals. So I wanted to let people know that. And then I started finding out all this weird stuff like 43 million there are 43 stinking million of us mm-hmm. that have depression. And I thought, why isn't somebody talking about this? Let's shine a light on it. Let's uh, get rid of this awful stigma around mental illness because it's, it has to do with your genetics. Uh, I have some pretty bad genes on both sides of the family, so I come by this naturally. But I study the brain now. I study neuroscience. I study epigenetics, which is how much control we actually have about how our genes get expressed, which is a whole nother science. But um, I want people to know what depression is, how they can realize if they've got it or not, what the heck they can do about it, and just to let everybody know to get rid of the stigma. You have always been known for your, obviously, talent, uh, for your grace, for your strength. These are obviously qualities you passed along to your daughters. I was reading a little bit about what you wrote about that the night, the middle of the night, getting you to the hospital and and Mm. seeking help. And Ashley and how she was like, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. Looking back on that night, did that surprise you that she kind of took the reins and said, all right, look, this is what's going to happen and I'm going with you? No. For instance, uh, well, we're extremely close, always have been. And she lives on an adjacent farm. It is one second, one minute from my gate to her gate. So she lives over the hill. Winona lives behind us over the hill. So we're all three very close. And for instance, right now, Ashley is playing the director of the CIA in a TV series called Berlin Station. That's typecasting. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley could be the director of the CIA. She's very strong-willed. She 
lived and worked in refugee camps last year in Syria and Turkey. Before that, she was in Africa and India, down in the brothels, working for AIDS. So she's always had this very strong sense of what's right and what she needs to do. So when she saw her own mom, that was tough for her because she always thought I was superwoman. That was very hard for me to let go and let my little sweet pea, as I call her, let her take over for me. That must have been really difficult. I mean, and that was my next question. How did it, that had to have felt like a fish out of water thing for you because you're having to go, okay, yeah, I may need a little bit more help than I can probably do on my own here. I knew I was in deep doo-doo. Mm-hmm. I knew I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't get off the couch for a couple of years. Everything was pointing to depression. And a lot of people think it's just a bad day. They're blue. Maybe they lost their dog or they got horses. For me, that would be a national tragedy because I love animals so much. And frankly, my four dogs helped save me. But anyway, um, people don't understand that depression is not just grief. It is sustained. It's something that lasts a long time. You literally lose all interest in everything. You start feeling like there's no hope. And that's when my suicidal ideations began because I couldn't see next minute. I couldn't see next hour. I certainly didn't see tomorrow. And there was a doctor in Nashville that I went to who was really, um, I guess the word is inadequate, inept. He uh, should be disbarred. But he had me on every single medication that they make for depression and for panic disorder, too. Nothing was working, so I became more and more depressed, feeling like, "Uh uh-oh, am I going to have this the rest of my life? I don't think so. When you were in that hole, as I've heard it, you know, described by many people who have gone through this and and battle with this, if you could tell caregivers and people close to, to those who have depression something to get them to understand what it's like, what do you tell them? Because I'm sure this is not the first time you've been asked this question. One of the first things you have to do is get diagnosed. And my psychiatrist, and I found a psychiatrist that I could really trust, someone that I got along with. In fact, I think when you find a psychiatrist, or any doctor for that matter, you have to sort of interview them. I used to be head nurse in ICU, and people call me for recommendations and referrals, and I always say, pretend like it's a real interview. See if this is going to be a partner on your journey. So anyway, I found a great psychiatrist, Dr. Gerald Rosenbaum from Mass General up in Boston. And he finally figured out six medications. My case was so horrendous, but it took six medications that seemed to balance me out, lifted me up so I could start working on CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which was another psychologist that did that kind of work. Um, I don't have the time here to talk about it, but it's in my book. And there were a bunch of therapies, integrative medicine therapies, if you will, that really helped me. And now, spoiler alert, I am recovering. I'm healing. And every day I take my medications and I work on these things. And they are like uh, acupuncture, aromatherapy, affirmations, biofeedback, chiropractic, uh, diet and exercise, of course, music, meditation, massage, Pilates, yoga, visualization, pets, all these kind of things and gratitude that I practice all the time. And that keeps my head above water. 
it keeps me moving forward. You describe several things there that require you to slow down and mm. to be still and to have quiet. And <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming when you were out on the road with the Judds and, and all of your career, that was not what you were probably, you were probably not in a, a real Zen point at that. This, this has to be a huge change for you to do these things now, right? Well, interesting. That's a great question. Interestingly, I wasn't depressed when I was out with, out with the Judds. We were surrounded by thousands and thousands of people every day. Um, it was like a moving circus. We would wake up in a different town every day. There was so much stimulation, and I thrive on that. I'm a stimulus seeker. Always have been, always will be. But you talk about living in the now. I highly recommend a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, T-O-L-L-E. Uh, I'm rereading one of his books, A New Earth, right now. In fact, it's the third time that I've read it. One of the things that we need to do in this culture, in this fast-paced, digital, technological culture, is to live in the present moment. That may, may sound simplistic. I'm not a Tibetan monk, but I'm telling you, <laughs> it works if you slow down and you really live in this moment, because that's really all we got, is this present moment. Your life expands. You're doing work with NAMI, right? Oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that for people who are looking for resources and answers. Obviously, your book is a good place to start to, to hear your story. What else do they need to know? There are places you can go. There's a support group called NAMI, N-A-M-I, the National Alliance of Mentally Ill. We had our convention in Washington, D.C. Uh, recently. 2,000 people showed up. We need to to connect with other people. One of the biggest things that you can do is have a support system. As, as I've been studying neuroscience and I hang out with all these brainiacs these days, one of the things I do is I hang out with uh, neuroscientists and uh, geniuses who are changing the world, and then I translate their information and take it to the folks, my favorite people out there, standard, standard issue folks. But NAMI um, is a result of having a support system. And neurobiologically, actually Dr. Dean Ornish, I'll drop his name here, who wrote Love and Survival. Dr. Dean Ornish, who's a very famous neuroscientist doctor, he was Clinton's cardiologist. He taught me how incredibly important it is to connect with other people. We have to have at least seven interactions a week or we start bleeding like sheep, I don't know. But <laughs> we have to have at least seven interactions a week. And uh, we're, we're hardwired. Our brains are actually hardwired, and everybody knows this is in the world of science or medicine. We have to have each other. And I think it started out with the cavemen. They had to be connected or they wouldn't survive. And today, people aren't connected, unfortunately. And I've never done Facebook because I believe in FaceTime. I know this is hard to believe, but I've never touched a computer. Don't intend to. I made it very well before, and I'm not going to do one now. I connect with everybody that I know personally. Wow. I know. That is pretty stunning. I think I, I was not expecting that. I really, I, wow. That's to, because we are in a connect, a quote, quote, unquote, connected society now. 
And you'd think that those interactions would, would you know, up the ante and help us feel better. But like nope, you said, they don't. not necessarily. No. And Sergey Brim and Larry Page, the guys that started Google, are friends of mine. And when they started talking to me and telling me about what they were doing and all, I kind of had a revulsion to all that. And I love them. I was actually one of the few females that was invited to Larry Page's wedding uh, when he married Lucy. We went to Necker Isle and Richard Branson's Isle and, and uh, had three or four days. And Bono, my dear friend from U2, and his wife, Allie, who have been family friends forever, um, and all these Nobel Prize winning physicists like Murray Gell-Mann and who discovered the quark. I'm dropping names here. But all that to say, these are really my friends. These are some of the people that have informed me and taught me about uh, how dangerous it is to communicate only with machines. And I've just made a conscious choice that I'm not going to. I have to acknowledge that I have an office and certainly these people do that. And then they give me my information or show me certain emails and all that. But um, I'm so interested in how incredibly much more there is for us to know that if I spend time on Facebook and keep up with, say, with my high school classmates and all that, I don't have time to hang out with Dr. Lisa Randall, who's professor of small particle theoretical physics at Harvard. I don't have time for her to, for her to explain to me that she believes there's actually five or six dimensions. There's a guy at Caltech out in California, Ed Witten, who believes there are probably 11 or 13 dimensions, and that he's one of the fathers of the superstring theory. Wow. So if I'm going to be doing all that, um, which is really what juices me, then I don't have time to play video games on the Internet. The uh, One of the big stories this week, obviously, on the Internet and everybody, everywhere else is the Time Person of the Year, which was a group, uh, the Silence Breakers, which Ashley uh, is featured in that story. Um, what do you think about that? She told me a couple of weeks ago, and she came down... Um, she, like I said, she lives next door. So she comes in the back kitchen door. We always leave it unlocked for her. And she was barefoot as usual. She hadn't washed her hair or brushed her hair. And I could tell she'd been out in the woods. And she said, this is going back about two months ago. And she said, Mama, I need your opinion. She held my hand. She said, I'm really thinking about going public, about telling people about Harvey Weinstein. And she said, do you remember what happened to me uh, years ago, and I said, of course I do. I can actually, um, I, I can tell everything that you said to me about how he was in his bathrobe and asked you to watch him take a shower. I can tell, I can repeat verbatim. And she said, well, I've been hearing through the rumor mill and whispers that he's done it to other people. And she said that the thing that got her attention was that they were using exactly the same details in the bathroom, watch me take a shower and all that kind of stuff. She was so repulsed that she said, I've got to do it. What do you think? Do you think I should? And I said, well, I remember when you told me, I thought, well, I'm going to go out there and cut off his penis. Um, and then she decided to write this letter 
and she was going to talk to one of the interviewers, one of the editorialists at the New York Times. I thought, well, okay, here we go. And I said, honey, doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. Go get them. And then it wasn't long later that she came in the kitchen and said, well, guess what? I've been named Times Person of the Year. And I screamed, Pop screamed, well, he hollered. <laughs> you know, women scream. But I was stomping my feet, and Ashley and I were jumping up and down like grade school girls. And I still can't believe it. I mean, there's, it's a shock to read the article in the New York Times. It's a shock to see your kid on the cover of Time magazine. But on the other hand, I'm not surprised. It's got to feel like at least something good came out of such a horrible thing. I mean, all these women are now speaking up. This is a national conversation, and Ashley is part of the reason it is. Yeah. And she said one of the reasons that she did it was when she was little, she and Winona, we were living in West Hollywood, California. Uh, I didn't even have a car, if you can believe that, in L.A. We went everywhere on the city bus. In fact, I remember taking Ashley to the doctor one time. She had 103 fever, and I had to take her on the city bus, and I felt so, it was one of the lowest points of my life. I felt so horrible as a mother. But I was working as a receptionist because I had no job skills, paid in uh, minimum wage at this insurance agency, and the guy called me in and asked me to take a golf weekend tournament time with him, and I said no. I could see the pictures of him and his wife and kids on the credenza and he fired me and I got behind in the rent we were a paycheck away from the streets and I don't think Ashley ever forgot that story that I told her there are a lot of people who have seen you deal with different things in your life uh, different other health issues um, fame you know uh, raising your daughters to be strong women uh, and they have gotten strength from that themselves. I can only imagine that that's part of what's going to happen when people read your book uh, and hear about what you've been dealing with de with depression. And people will, I guarantee you, people read this book, and you probably already have already heard from them and go, "Yeah, that sounds like that sounds really familiar." You know, mm -hmm. there are, like you said, what forty five million. 43 million 43 million depression. That's just an, uh, an unreal number. Uh, and the fact that you've shown this kind of strength to put this down on paper where other people can read it, uh, I'm sure you get a lot, of, a lot of thanks and a lot of praise for that. Well, you're very kind. Um, I had to do this book because I know how alone I felt. Um, been at home for years not even being able to go out with my girlfriends to get our nails done or do lunch or do anything. And I thought, I've always believed that we're in this together. And if I know something that could help somebody else, especially through one of my tragedies, I, I have to do it. I can't not do it. And I admit it was very painful having to live. And it's going to be shocking there's a lot of um, revelations in this book that nobody knows anything about that I had always been ashamed uh, to tell about. So I have to brace myself for that. But if, if people recognize themselves in this and think, wow, I guess I do have depression. Maybe I need to raise my hand. Mm 
and if they could see themselves in this. But I've gotten to where um, paper book back is out now, so I carry just boxes of them in the trunk of my car. Because when I'm out and about, people come up to me, and I can tell it's not that they want a selfie, they don't want an autograph, they don't want to tell me a story about the music. I can just almost see it in their eyes. They want to talk to me about their symptoms. They want to share their story. I appreciate you coming to tell us about this today. I really do. This is going to, I think this will hit home with a lot of folks that need to hear it. Well, I just want everybody out there to know you are not alone. And there is help. If you're one of us that have depression and panic disorder, get the book. It's called River of Time. Naomi Judd, thank you for coming by today. We've been spending a few moments with Naomi Judd. I'm Tanya J. Powers. This is Fox News Radio. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.